goes ahead and shows us. Tonight. It's kind of a little chipper in here, don't you think? You guys cold? Are you cold, DT? I didn't think so. You, are you freezing? Tommy, you want me to turn, turn it up a degree? Turn it down a little bit more? <laughs> okay, I'm going to do what Tommy wants. Um, oh, man, okay. There we go. It'll care off here in a minute, at least the air conditioning part. Hey, before we get started tonight, are we live? Are we live? Okay. Well, you guys don't care for a little live, do you? I mean, the camera's not going to go anywhere. Well, it could. Depends on what Oscar wants to do with the little... The guys back there in the tech room, what they really do is they play with all the electronics during the service. That's what they do. Um, they, they zoom in on what Brock's actually doing and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> put that up on the live stream, see solitaire. I, kn I know what you all do on Sunday morning, I know. I, when I was a kid, I imagine what we'd have done if we'd had a, you know, don't let your teenager have a cell phone in church. You know what they're going to do. You guys know. Then again... Oh, anyway, I'll let it go. Um, glad for tuning in tonight. Before we begin our Bible study tonight, um, got exciting thing we need to do. I had a couple guys who've been coming to church here a long time, express their desire to become a member. And uh, is, is your wife going to kill you, Jason, that she's not here? Is, is, is she not here? Is your... She's in the baby room? Okay. Well, will that make her mad? I mean, I, I don't want to be on the other side of Melissa. Um, okay. They guys have been coming to church a long time, and their their wives. I was telling them before church started. You know, they've been like, kind of like kids to me, some of my own for a long, long time, and um, so it's very precious to me that these guys, uh, both the, both the girls I love, brought some guys here. Boom! I like that, and even better, I like Adelaide and <laughs> OC and Fitz and Cash. I said, what a blessing. But these two men, uh, most of you know Jason Dominguez and you know Preston Jennings, they desired to become officially a member of Open Door. And so we talked a little bit about things in the Constitution and how hard it is to get rid of me and things <laughs> like that, important things like that. Um, and, but, Chris, they've been coming a long time. So I, as you know, that's my preference, unless folks are military. I don't, I don't like real quick. I want folks to know what they're joining and... I can honestly say with both you guys, we've been through some battles together already, you know, some ups and some downs, and you sticking it out, and that, I can't tell you how much that means to me, um, that when things happen, that you just get back up and you, you move forward. Um, so uh, they came and talked to me. They've been saved and baptized. And uh, if you're watching tonight, I've got, got enough folks here. If you're a, a member of the church here tonight and you're okay and in favor of having Preston and Jason join the church, can you signify a good hearty amen? Amen. 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 All right. Uh, Pastor Danny's not here. So, Jenny, it's your job to remind them of that. I'm going to come down here. Do you guys want your coin? Yes, they, they, I think that's why they wanted these valuable coins. They. They will not work at the casino, Thank I you. promise you. Um, <laughs> I love it, man. I'm, I, I, tell you, I, I like this coin idea thing. Didn't you didn't get one? Well, you got to see Pastor Danny or Pastor Cody. Actually, you could see me at this point now. Pastor Danny gave me the list. So I think he's, you're not on the list, though. I think there was like one that said, do not give. You know, that was you. I, I like your yellow shirt on tonight, bud. It's sunshiny. I like it. What's that? Big lemon. I was going to say, if, if put a black stripe down, you'd be a big bumblebee, you know, like Transformers. I never forget. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm not even starting tonight. I'm going to preach. Jenny knows I'm going to go there, don't you, Jen? It's been long, and it's been years ago. 
we had some families coming a few times, and we were trying, and they were, let's just say they'd had some heart issues in life, you know, and the church had done well to reach to them and loved on them, and so they started coming, and they, they were here like their fourth or fifth time, and one of the, the husband guy, one of the guys, he came to church, and he had a polo shirt on, and it was, it was bright yellow, like DT's color yellow, and then big black stripes alternating. And somebody in the church, <laughs> I won't say who, Jenny says I can't say who, I can say who, I've offended him a lot worse than this and over the years, um, said, hey, I love your shirt, you kind of look like a bumblebee. You know, he got so offended, they never came, they quit coming, and we wondered, why aren't you coming? And then finally the wife said, well, his feelings got hurt, because somebody said he looked like a bumblebee. Please. And by the way, I don't believe for a minute he really was rudely offended about being his, his shirt when that was not said in anger or meanness. It was said in levity. Um, the real reason is he didn't want to deal with God. That's the real reason. So I know you're not getting away just because you look like a bumblebee or a lemon. You're coming back. You're, you're not... All right, if you're watching tonight, thank you for tuning in. We're going to be in John chapter 3 tonight. Uh, thank you, Brother Drew, for doing our praise note and prayer request time. Pastor Danny's on a, on a well-deserved, uh, uh, he and Rebecca, break after covering so much for me. Actually, I wanted him to take longer on vacation, Pastor Danny, if you're watching this. I, I wanted him to take longer, but um, we do have a lot of things going on at church, and just love him and Rebecca and all the blessing they are to Jenny and I and the church, but... Um, we're in Life of Messiah, and if you have, uh, if you have Dr. Frutenbaum's uh, copy of his Harmony of the Gospels, which is pretty much based on A.T. Robertson's, but uh, we're going to be in paragraph number 33, and tonight will be part number one, because I'll be certainly taking longer than Arnold does in this chapter. And I've entitled tonight's Bible study, Ultimate Evangelism, Ultimate Evangelism, because in the next two chapters of John, where we're going to see Jesus have an interaction with a very morally righteous man, and then in chapter 4, an immoral woman. And you put these two things together, and it encompasses the entire scope of the, of the effective way to evangelize and to outreach. And we have seen that Jesus has been identified by John Baptist as the Messiah, and now Jesus has openly declared his claim to be the Messiah at the Passover in Jerusalem, and we're already seeing that the religious and political leaders are sending a message, ah, we, we don't like this guy. Obviously, when Jesus ran him out of the, the Sadducee leadership out of the temple, I'm sure that didn't start things out on a good note. But we also see that many of the common people are starting to recognize, and they see and, and believe, as we found in the last chapter, believe in him and in his name. Um, but we find the elites are not so keen on it. Now tonight, we're going to begin in John chapter number 3, and I don't know, if, you know as you guys, we you know, the chapter divisions are not inspired, you know, they, they, they were put in later to help us get around in the scriptures, but um, if I were to ask you, you know, the, your favorite chapters in all the Bible, I don't know, it, you, know it'd be, that, you know, people say, what's your favorite book? I said, the one I'm studying, you know, whichever one I'm in now, I love that book more than anything else, and I'm studying, and I'm just immersed in it or that, that chapter, but boy, John chapter number three may just be the summit of everything the Word of God has to say from Genesis to Revelation. It, it all comes to its point when we see Jesus now as he's been publicly identified as the Messiah, 
and this religious leader comes to him and Jesus shares what is required, what is necessary to find the hope of heaven and being entered into the kingdom of God. I, I come to this chapter with great um, humility and great, uh, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's, it's a difficult one. I, I, I will tell you that uh, for sake of time, because I could stay in this chapter for, <laughs> I could stay in this chapter for forever, I think, you know, really. But I, I'm going to stick to with uh, mainly to what life of Messiah from the Jewish perspective, uh, I'm going to stick mainly to that, which is going to move us through it a little quicker than I otherwise would. But understand we're looking in our greater thing at the life of the Messiah. And I, I think this will be a tremendous blessing to you. If, if, you, if you have never heard this chapter, John 3, which incorporates John 3, 16, uh, arguably the most famous verse in all the scriptures, if you have never heard this chapter taught from a Jewish perspective, you are about to probably have the way you view this chapter radically influenced. I know the very first time that when I went through the life of Messiah, just listening to it, I think Jenny and I were on some trip, Brock, you'd given me one of those little, I don't know if it was a CD, whatever, we were listening to it, and Jenny would go, this guy's boring, and I'd be going, oh, he's awesome. <laughs> you know? and, um, thank you, Dr. Frutenbaum, for being boring. Um, he can't have everything, right? But um, I, there's several points. You know, the ministry of the John Baptist was radical to me. I'd never been taught some of that stuff, even in seminary. And then when I got to the part here and began to go through John chapter 3, some of the things that Dr. Frutenbaum was teaching, I had just never, ever heard. And um, so I, I think you're going to be excited tonight. Unfortunately, I said, well, you got me all fired up, Pastor. Well, tonight I'm only going to get really into the introduction. Um, next week, we'll get a little bit more into the meat of it. So if you're watching online or you're here in person, uh, tonight will be good. But I think next week it's even going to get gooder. Um, it's just really fascinating stuff. So with that in mind, let's go to John chapter number three in your Bibles. And of course, in the harmony of the Gospels, only John records this. So we'll only be in the Gospel of John for a little bit here. Uh, but John chapter three in verse number one, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So tonight, as I mentioned, I entitled this little mini-series, The Ultimate Evangelism. It begins by identifying the seeker. We are told his name is Nicodemus. It's a Greek name. And we are, first thing we're told about him is that, uh, I guess I should say, first it says he was a man. In today's environment, I guess that's important, that the first thing we identify that Nicodemus knew he was a man. The scripture knew he was a man. There was no doubt about it. Um, uh, can you believe the days in which we live that we're having to have this conversation? Uh, gets, me, gets me going. But at any rate, um, we're told that he's a Pharisee. Now, I know most of us, and if you're watching online, we have a very generic idea of what a Pharisee is. Overall, I would say, wouldn't you say that if, if you're called a Pharisee, that would be a, a term of negativity, right? Um, can anybody see an, an, uh, an avenue or a perspective that being called a Pharisee might be a compliment? Anybody? Yes, Savannah? Oh, then I'll, then I'll get you, Joe. Sorry. All right, they were very zealous in obedience to what they understood as truth, the, the law. Very good. Anybody else? All right, they believed in a physical resurrection. 
Um, did, was it Joe? Was it you? Who was, it? was somebody else back here? No, okay. Oh, it was Jerry? Okay. Uh, Savannah beat you to it, huh? Uh, you like their zealous. Anybody else? How much scripture do you think they had committed to memory? <laughs> a lot more than we do. Uh, even though we got 27 extra books to work with, they probably still in volume. They, they, they memorize the word of God. Um, there, there's some positive things that could be said by them. But Dr. Frutenbaum begins this by laying the foundation that to understand the conversation that Jesus is about to have with Nicodemus, if you do not understand the, the theological framework from which it's coming, you're not going to see the nuances that are really there. And it's very important to understand that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, in Jesus' day, there were, there was, I'm sure a lot, but there were four big movements that were religious and political in nature. Four different viewpoints, Pharisees being one of them. Uh, Brock already mentioned, or somebody did, did somebody mention Sadducees here a minute ago? Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but there are two other groups. Uh, if, you call, if you consider the Herodians, they'd probably be a fifth group, but uh, anybody else can think of any other groups that, uh, that are mentioned the Essenes. The Essenes are one, and the scribes, which were, they could be a little of both, but uh, anybody else? What's, pardon me? Uh, the Senate, that's, a, that's an organization, but made up of these, these folks. Um, there was, uh, which one of, the, one of the disciples was a zealot? There's also a group known as the Zealots. I think Herodians were very uh, sympathetic to them. But each one of these groups, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots, all had different views that they were very well known for. The Essenes, for example, were very well known for their asceticism. In other words, they believed that the path to spirituality was to, to reject anything material and to live in poverty and, uh, you know, very withdrawn. And many people think John Baptist uh, was an Essene. I don't believe that personally, but uh, he had some things in common with them. Uh, but some of his message they, they probably wouldn't have liked. Matter of fact, you know, the Essenes are the ones that most people attribute the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, the ones they found in the caves. Uh, those that many people think those were some of the scrolls that were kept by the Essenes. Uh, you know, so it's an interesting group. Then you have the Zealots, and they were the ones that hated the Romans. That's what they were most known for. Let's kick the Romans out. If we got to do it by force, we do it by force. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And there's a couple things that the Pharisees were most specifically known for. One, they, they opposed the Sadducees on the issue of the resurrection. They believed that when a, someone died, they would physically have a resurrection and go into the kingdom of God. But another thing that the Pharisees in that day were probably even more known for was the Pharisees believed that anybody who was born Jewish was in the kingdom. If you were a Jew, you were in. Now, if you know your New Testament, you know that Jesus had a couple different encounters with the Pharisees over this very issue when Jesus challenged them about their destiny and they said, well, we be of Abraham. See, they believed this because they rightly believed that the Jewish people were God's chosen people or another Hebrew word is the same word we use for they were the elected people. So they believed that on the basis of their election, they were on their way to heaven. Does that sound familiar? Sound familiar to anybody? No? No? You guys don't? Doesn't sound familiar? Nobody else thinks that today? There's a whole bunch of people that teach that, you know, if you go to heaven, it's because God sovereignly chose you. He elected you. You, you, you get to be one of the chosen ones. 
um, and you get in on the basis of election. Well, uh, my question when people use this, and I'd say, well, were the Jewish people elect according to the scriptures? Clearly they were. Does that mean they're elected to salvation? That means if they're Jewish, they automatically get a free pass? That's not what Jesus taught. When they, when they pulled that card in front of Jesus, he said, I don't care. God can raise up these stones to worship and praise him. He doesn't need you. You're going to split hell wide open. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. Fully rejected that, that particular doctrine. But they were very secure in their genealogy as the basis of their salvation. Matter of fact, the Talmud, and we're going to mention a lot in the next, these next uh, several weeks, some of the writings. Dr. Frutenbaum extensively quotes uh, uh, different writings from rabbis and from the Talmud and other places. But in the Talmud, it's interesting, there are several rabbis that wrote about that they believed that Abraham himself actually sat at the gate of hell. And if any Jewish person was particularly bad and, and, and for some reason they slid by all the warning gates that, 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 that Abraham was like that, that, that goalie in hockey, you know, that he, and he was perfect, that he would get a save, you know, and, you know, make sure that no Jewish person accidentally slid in, into hell. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the one that holds my eternal future is not Abraham. No offense, Abraham, but my, my security is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. However, it's interesting, as we're going to find often in, in Jewish uh, theology and in, in Jewish uh, thinking, when you know, it, it's kind of a convoluted the way they write the different rabbis and the way they thought things were, this was true, and then another rabbi would come along and say, no, that's not true, this is true, and they would argue back and forth. And it was interesting to me that Dr. Frutenbaum goes on after saying all this to say, if you're born Jewish, you go to, into the kingdom, and Abraham guards the goal, but then, having said all that, there are several rabbis that did teach, and it was widely accepted that you could be a Jew and still find yourself in hell. I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't you just say the opposite? Yeah, that's kind of, I, did, I don't get it, but in fact, they did. They did say that there were a couple things that a person could do, a Jewish person could do, that they would lose their Jewishness. You know, for example, they taught that only Gentiles could get in only if they adopted the law and went through immersion, baptism by immersion. And, but if you were a Jewish and you committed serious sins, ever heard that phrase again? <laughs> I love my Armenian friends. I get into them and they're like, they're like, well, if you sin willfully, then you go to hell because you gave it up. You lost your salvation because you chose to sin willfully. I always scratch my head and say, when is a sin not done willfully? They don't have a good answer. But then it's usually, but it's only serious sins. I'm like, okay, what? define for me a serious sin. Now, I understand some sins have greater consequences than others, but in comparison to the way it offends the holiness of God, <laughs> um, trust me, all your righteousness and my righteousness, self-righteousness, is just as offensive to God at any rate. It was interesting to me that the, the rabbis wrote that if you did serious sins like blasphemy or rejection of the Mosaic law, even you could find yourself, uh, a Jewish person could find themselves in hell. Matter of fact, they went through in several, Arnold quotes several of the uh, rabbinic writings that goes through and he, he lists all the ones that we know of through all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tractates and things that the rabbis have written over the hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, in the Bible... 
Uh, you guys, I know it's Wednesday night and I have all the energy, but um, in the Bible, if you could think of a Bible character that the Jewish Pharisees may have thought lost their ticket into heaven, I'm curious. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's seven of them. What a number. Seven of them that Arnold knew of. Can anybody think of a Bible character, a Jewish Bible character that was so bad that he may have lost his ticket? Nope. Old Testament. I'm sorry, it'd only be Old Testament. Pardon me? Manasseh. Manasseh is one of them. Remember Hezekiah's son, King Manasseh? Evil, wicked guy, although he got right with God at the very end. He humbled himself. Um, so I personally think Manasseh's in heaven, believe it or not. He might argue to be the greatest sinner in terms of evil and wickedness, you know, next to me. But um, pretty bad. All right, Manasseh, that's one. Anybody think of another guy, character in the Old Testament that may, that may be bad enough that got... Absalom? Nope, he's not on there, but he'd be a good candidate. That would be David's son. He turned on David and took over the kingdom. Yep, but he's not on there, but I think it's a good guess. Anybody else? Ahab. Ding! Okay, okay so you guys, don't disappoint me. You are the Wednesday night crowd. I know you're tired, but you're also the smartest ones in the church. So, you know, I need to... All right, that's two. Ahab. Remember good old King Ahab and his interactions and his wonderful wife Jezebel, who's not on the list. These are all men. I guess I should quantify that. I guess probably knowing the Jewish mindset of the day, they wouldn't have women on there, so they're all men. Um, Ahab. He's out. Uh, anybody else? Can think about it. We got Manasseh and Ahab. Cain, that's a good one. It's not, it's not on there, but it's a good, that's a good guess. In my, in my view, I think he had a, you know, uh, no, he's not on there. Any, but there's a New Testament passage that there's somebody connected to Cain that is on the list. I'll give you a hint. I think it's found in uh, Savannah. Nope, not Cain in either. Nope, he's not on there. I think he's mentioned in, in is it the book of Jude with alongside in the same verse with Cain? Remember where the Bible says don't go the way of Cain and don't go the way of this other guy as well. No? Come on, you guys, we only, we've only got, what do we got? We got two out of seven. Open door is better than this. Yeah, Joe? Nope. I don't know if he, was he Jewish? Balaam. Even though I gave you a hint, you get, you get brownie points. Balaam. He's on their list. I don't know. Okay, well, he's on their list. Talk to the rabbis. They, you know, they said Balaam. You really? How could he get pulled if he's not a thing? I don't know. Maybe they considered him. They put him on the list. Balaam. All right, give me another one. Nope, he's not on there. That's the New Testament. I, they they wouldn't have considered him. Uh, uh, how about the? Say that again. No, but he's another good one. Jeconiah would be a good one. Except don't. Tell, I mean, all these guys are bad that are on here. All right, let me give you another hint. The, when the kingdom split after Solomon, the first king of the north, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, which I don't know. I don't, he's the one I thought, really? Was he that bad? Um, but, but he was on there. Um, give you another one. Now, this one, this one, I'll give you a hint, but you still, this is going to be, I'll be curious to see if anybody can get this one. Um, remember when David went to the, uh, when, when he was running away from King Saul and he was really hungry and he stopped by the tabernacle and saw the priest and said, give me something to eat and he took the sword of Goliath. And remember that King Saul got really mad about it and he sent somebody to go wipe out all those priests. 
Yep, man, good. We got Christian school teacher. Boom, Doag. Remember, he was sent. Didn't he? Wasn't he? He was sent. And he, yeah. See, you guys got to talk to these. You got to talk to Arnold there. Not that he talks to you. I guess it does. It makes it that much easier to take away their Jewishness. That's really good. Uh, I'll give you another one. Remember when, when Absalom, somebody mentioned Absalom. Remember when, he, when Absalom took over the throne? This guy is Jewish, uh, I believe. Uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was a counseling war that went on in the palace. Ahithophel, he's on the list. Last one, who I also think better be Jewish. Um, remember, this is a guy that was uh, Elisha's helper. I think it was Elisha's helper, not Yep, Gehazi. Remember how he went out and sold out and said, oh, yeah, come back here to, to the, the king of Syria. Uh, my brain's going, but yeah. So all these guys, at any rate, apparently, why you need to tell Arnold, hey, they're not all Jewish, because you're right, Balaam in particular, I know for sure isn't, and I don't know, Doeg, is he was an Edomite as well, although he, he was working for the king, but so I don't know, he may have been given it. any rate, I just found the theology, my big thing I want you to see is that they had this theology that they were ultimately known for, that everybody who was Jewish goes to heaven, but yet in their own writings, they, they wrote things that were contradictory to it. You know, one of the things I tell you, when you study theology, do your very best to make sure that your theology is consistent. In other words, I know there was a time in my life where I believed I bought the lie that, well, that's just God. These two opposite things exist because that's just, we just do not know the mind of God. And nobody does, by the way, know the full mind of God. I think we can all fully agree on that. His ways are higher than our ways. But it astounds me sometimes where people will hold, and you guys know how I get on my soapbox on this, but because it drives me crazy when I'm sometimes in other churches or ones I've been in in the past where, especially we Baptists, you know, one Sunday the guy's up there preaching about that salvation's in Christ alone through faith alone and it's not of works, blah, 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 and which is a great sermon and amen. But then the next week they're telling you, hey, how are you doing in your spiritual life? Have you done something this week? Have you, have you read your Bible all this week? Have you witnessed to somebody this week? If you haven't witnessed to somebody this week, I just don't think you really have what it takes. I would even question if you're really saved. And then we find out, oh, we had eight people saved today. No, you didn't. You just talked eight people out of their salvation and had them come back down here. But do you not see the conflict between week one and week two? And I'm amazed. Even in some of my friends that I talk to, I'm like, don't you see the inconsistency you're, you're sharing? So we find out that Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. And this will be the group of all the groups that will most uh, consistently oppose the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We are going to see that at times, which unless you understand the Jewish perspective, you won't totally understand why, there are sometimes it appears because it kind of is, Jesus does things intentionally to tick off the Pharisees. I know if I did something like that, they'd say, well, that isn't very spiritual. I'd say, well, that's what the Lord did. He just, you know, called, and he was trying to show them their, how wrong they were. But we're also told in verse number one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. Now again, this, is, this phrase is thrown in there, and, and we would recognize it in our English, the Western perspective. Okay, this is a guy that is of some importance. That's very true, that he, that he had some kind of leadership thing. But if you were a Jewish person reading this in the first century, and you read this phrase, they knew exactly what John was talking about here. And, and he is telling us that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin 
Remember, was it 72 members of the Sanhedrin? I believe that's what it is, right, Brock? There's 72. It, 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 it was underneath the Roman government. It was the, the, the Jewish body of authority that communicated with the Roman leadership like Pilate that we're going to find out later. And uh, it was made up of Pharisees and some Sadducees uh, predominantly. And this was the group that, that exercised leadership over the nation of Israel underneath the Roman masters, of course. And so this was a guy, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and who was a person of great influence. All right, verse number two. Let's go on, and we'll stop here for the night. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. We're told that Jesus comes to Nic- or Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now, why do you think he came to Jesus by night? Anybody? He didn't want anybody to see him. That's a good one. Yeah, Jerry? Especially he didn't want the fellow Pharisees to see him. That's a good one. Anybody else? Why do you think maybe he came to him by night? Could there be any other reasons? All right. Um, You know, um, not even so much Nicodemus, although he may have been busy, but as we study the life of the Lord Jesus, it... He had a pretty full day every day. It may certainly have been that he just couldn't get to him at daytime. And even if he could, could he get a private meeting with him in the daytime combined with the fact, you know, others w- would see. Anybody else think maybe another reason why he came at night? Scared. He was scared. Just flat out fear uh, could, be, could be a motivating factor. Anybody else? I'm curious tonight. Is anybody here that would say when you first started responding to the claims of Christ that it was more of a secretive thing when I when I and I put that in quotes it was um you just started asking questions in a kind of subtle way as opposed to, to oh I'm a Christian now I'm just curious if anybody would say that was your testimony be, be somebody that you got saved later in life I was a kid I didn't know any better you know <laughs> that's why you need to have child evangelism amen and amen um one of the things that we're going to see, and this goes all the way back to the, the, the groundwork of the Gospel of John, is that John has a real love or a, in his writing of the sub-themes throughout his book. And one of them that you see over and over is this contrast between the night and the day, the darkness and the light. We're going to find this, this sub-theme runs entirely through his book. And by the way, it, when he started writing his epistles, you know, much obviously late in his life, when you read First John, what do you read about in First John chapter 1? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we say we have no darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He, even when you get into his epistles, you'll find this contrast, which is why, in my opinion, even when you come to the epistles of 1 John, if you don't see the, the foundational message of the gospel of John, when you come to 1 John, as most people do today, they misinterpret what the epistles of John really are fundamentally about. But I don't know all the different reasons why Nicodemus, I don't want to totally judge the guy. We'll get to heaven one day. I believe he's in heaven at this point. Um, but we know that he came at night. Um, we also see that Nicodemus addresses Jesus as a rabbi. Now, rabbi literally, it's just the word that means teacher. 
and it was a term of respect. Now, what is interesting, I think, of all the information we're given, from me personally, what I found the most fascinating in verse number two, is it says, then came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, shows respect. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Ever, ever anybody say, hey, we are going to do this? And you look around, we think this as a pastor, I hear this sometimes. Somebody comes to my office, one person, and says, well, pastor, we really think. You know, I want to say, what do you got, a bird in your pocket? What do you got? All I see is one. Who's we, or everyone thinks. Just hint for my leadership style, don't come to me and say everyone thinks unless you're prepared to bring everyone with you. My office is not very big anyway, so that would probably be a pretty small crowd, although DT, you'd fill it up pretty good, so you and a couple people might be good. But Do you notice in here it says, we know? It's only Nicodemus that's here, and yet he brings this insight that the Pharisees as a group had already recognized that this Jesus of Nazareth has already caused a scene in the temple and, and made this claim that he's the Messiah. And Nicodemus lets him know that they're certain and recognize that he's a teacher from God, for no one can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, that's a big statement. Let me ask you, do you still believe miracles happen today? I personally do. I'm not a cessationist. But do you believe that every miracle that we as mankind perceive comes from God? Do you think Satan can do things that look miraculous? I think you got to try every spirits, whether they be of God or not, and be really careful when you're evaluating things. What I found fascinating is, is Nicodemus, the things that he's telling Jesus when he comes to him, he shows him respect, and then he identifies as we, we, we have this information that we're sure of. We're sure that you're a teacher, that you've come from God, because the miracles that thou doest. Now, now again, you could look at that in a very general sense and say, well, he did these great miracles that nobody could do unless God was with him. I think he means more than that. I think what Nicodemus is saying here and the Pharisees, the reason they're all up in arms is because Jesus was doing miracles that they themselves had written about that the Messiah would do. That he was specifically doing messianic miracles that the Pharisees had taught all their peoples, hey, only the Messiah can do this. And Jesus was doing it. Now, we know by the end of the story, do the Pharisees stick to the idea that God was with Jesus and Jesus had to be of God? <laughs> no, they eventually abandon that, that uh, viewpoint. They say, no, we, we think you're of the devil. You're, you know, you're not, you're not of God. But right now, early on, the Pharisees are put in this conundrum. They're like, okay, this guy's got to be sent from God because look at the things that he's doing. But it is fascinating when you read what Nicodemus thought of Jesus in verse number two. We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. That's some great information, isn't it? It's wonderful to know all those things, but do you notice a difference between the elites in verse number two, the Pharisees, versus what we saw just a couple verses earlier in, in the letter of John, in John chapter two and verse number 23. Remember back at the end with the common people, the regular people? The lowlifes, 
that when they saw Jesus do these same miracles, the same things they'd been taught as a kid growing up in, well, many of them Pharisaic teaching, that the Messiah would do this, and the Messiah would do this, and they're looking around and seeing Jesus doing it, and that's why the Bible says in verse 23 of chapter 2 uh, that they saw these things, and many believed in his name. Now, do you see the difference between chapter 2, the common people and the elites? What is missing in verse number 2 of chapter 3 from the elites? Belief. Belief. Faith. You know, knowing information is a wonderful thing. And they, even these wicked Pharisees, they'd figured some things out and they were correct that Jesus was come from God and Jesus was doing things that nobody else could do and Jesus was doing the messianic things because he was the Messiah. They had all the information, but there was no personal application or faith. It's like I tell folks, you know, I'm a simple faith guy. I believe it's very simple to be saved. Simple faith in in the finished work of Christ. Believe in him for everlasting life. It's really simple. And the Bible describes it as a free gift. And you know, I've I've used the illustration frequently. God provided the whole gift and he freely is offering it to anybody who wants it, but you have to receive it. There has to be a time where you personally said, yes, I'm the sinner in need of this gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I'm the one in need. Lord, I'd like that gift, and I believe you can give me that gift. That's faith in his word, faith in his promise, and we see an absence of that in verse number two. No faith. But I will say for Nicodemus at this point in his spiritual journey, there is a difference between Nicodemus and these other Pharisees that were discussing who Jesus was that knew these information. The difference is Nicodemus is standing here seeking. The rest of them stayed secure in their knowledge. Oh, we know. Oh, we know. Oh, we know. You know, I I tell many times if you've watched people say, well, I saw something on TV and I, I saw something on the History Channel and, you know, they had some guy, some scientists on there telling us how that the earth is billions and billions of years old and it was, it was a, somebody from a seminary and it was Dr. So-and-so, he has a PhD. And, you know, my general thing is the more PhDs they have after their name, probably the dumber they are. That's the typical rule of thumb. As Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians, we are fools for Christ's sake. All the people say, oh, where's the wisdom of the world? But Nicodemus is here. He's seeking Jesus. He is being, in my opinion, I believe this is where we're beginning to see the Holy Spirit of God is drawing Nicodemus as the Holy Spirit does for all of us. The question is, are we responding to that draw? Nicodemus, he sees this information. He knows in his heart, I, I, have, I, I have, I got, I, what is going on? I, I'm afraid to believe in this, but I got I to gotta find out a little bit more. And he is being drawn to the Savior. The other Pharisees just stay in doubt and rejection. You know, Nicodemus was really, in many ways, because of his status in life, was really a very unlikely candidate for conversion. He really was. And yet here he is, and I personally believe by the end of this interaction with Jesus, he becomes a believer, albeit early on a a secret saint. But one of the things I love about Nicodemus is the fact that, you know, God loves everyone, the rich and the poor. And I'm so thankful that God brings folks sometimes that have 
uh, financial wherewithal, uh, that have knowledge and things, and uses them greatly. And I would encourage you, just like in Nicodemus's life, you know, never give up on someone. You know, how many times we we said, "Well, look at that person over there. There is no way that person will ever come to Christ." I wouldn't be so quick to give up on them. Um, I will tell you as a pastor, when I witness to somebody, at times I've made people angry. Even when I've tried not to be overly pushy, I've tried to be as kind of, sometimes you, you witness to them and they get, get angry. Anybody had that experience? I would rather have that response than I would the dominant response that we get in America today, which is a response of apathy, the response of, hey, you just believe whatever you believe and I believe what I believe, you know, okay? You know, there's no, there's, I'd rather have the person that's responsive because it tells me something. <laughs> it tells me something's going on in there. I get amazed sometimes by atheists that, that I tick off or Pastor Danny, Pastor Danny ticks them off more than I am with our apologetics ministry. Woo, he gets lit up sometimes on his, on C4C. You pray for Pastor Danny. That's hard to take. You know, we're, we're pe- pastors are people too. Um, but, I'm always cracks me up with these atheists respond with these passionate, angry responses to something Pastor Danny has said on C4C. And I'm like, you know, you could say whatever you want to say about Santa Claus. You could tell me he's the most evil guy and he don't like his red coat and you don't like his beard. It wouldn't, I wouldn't lose a bit of sleep over it. You know why? Because I don't believe in Santa Claus in that way. All right, in that way, okay. And it cracks me up, these atheists. Man, they're mad about somebody they say doesn't even exist. Interesting, isn't it? Um, with this in mind, I was, I, every week letters are pouring in from our missionaries, and you all know how much I always like keeping missions in front of you. And uh, One of our missionaries is John Johannes Katana in Zambia. He's a Zambian national. Many of you remember when he was here. He's such a good guy. God's using him so greatly. He primarily ministers to the deaf. Now, he himself is not deaf, but he ministers to the deaf in Zambia. And understand, years ago, uh, there was an AIDS epidemic, still is to some degree, in Zambia. And when babies were little, like Hosi's age, they'd get, they'd get the virus and they'd get really hot and their eardrums would explode from the heat and they'd be deaf. Well, they were thought to be under the judgment of God and cast out, and it was really tough. And I'll tell you, John Katana, when we get to heaven one day, this guy in his ministry... Yeah, I know I'm going to be way in line, way, I won't even see John Gatana. <laughs> but the change that he has brought in the, in the nation as a whole and their view of who the deaf people are. I remember he was here telling us that these deaf kids would be 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. They never heard, they had no way of communicating except, you know, whatever they could create on their own. And then when John would, in his ministry, would reach them and teach them sign language and learn that they could communicate, it broke my heart when I, he would say that every one of these kids didn't even know they had a name. They never heard their name. They didn't know they had a name. Well, John Katana sent his newsletter, his report, and I was reading it, and this thought of never give up and that God is always on the move and God's working in ways that you and I cannot see. Um... He tells in his newsletter how he was visiting a patient in one of the biggest hospitals in Zambia, and um, a pastor friend of his that 
works with him with the deaf, and this pastor friend is deaf. But this pastor friend has a son who is not deaf. And his son had rejected Christ for years and years, and his son had gotten really sick and was in the hospital. And so he asked, this deaf pastor asked our our friend John, he said, would you go visit my son in the hospital? Would you talk to him about the faith? And John Katana said, yeah, I will do that. And he said he went to the hospital room and began to talk with this, this young man and got to some of the root issues of what his was. And he said the, the Holy Spirit was just bringing conviction on this young man. He said, I could just see it as I'm sharing the faith with him. And um, he said, so I went through the plan of salvation. As I got near the end, he said, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Yes, I've been wrong. And God just broke this young man right there in the hospital. And John says in his letter that he was privileged to lead this young man, his name was Isaac, to lead him to Christ right there in the hospital. Amen. He said, but the amazing thing was, I was in this hospital room, and as it often is in America, and over there even more so, there were more than one patient in that hospital room. And in the bed next door, on the other side of the curtain, was another man, a much older man, who'd rejected God his entire life and was in a much more fragile state of his health he knew that he did not have long to live and he had said to God God if you are up there and you really want to send a message you're going to have to send someone to tell me what I need to do and he says the next day he tells John Katana you show up because John said he noticed when he shared this, the, the faith with this young man and said, you know, would you like to pray and trust Christ and just tell God and, you, you know, the, the whole thing. And this young man that he witnessed to started praying. He goes, I started hearing this other voice next to, next to me praying as well, which led him to follow up and hear this story. You know, the point of the matter is that I want us to see tonight that maybe in your family or in your friendship world, there's somebody that you would say, boy, they're like Nicodemus. They're really set in their ways and there's no way they don't need God. They have money and they have a, they're never going to turn to God. Can I encourage you tonight? God keeps working. And all you and I need to be is about doing the king's business, being involved in evangelism. Amen? Amen. All right, well, next week I want to pick things up here and... Uh, like I said, next week is going to be flat out, if you like John chapter 3 anyway, it's going to be flat out fascinating. So I encourage you to be back next Wednesday night, and Lord willing, we'll continue on in the series. Uh, thank you for tuning in with us tonight. If you're watching online or listening, appreciate your, your tuning in. Hope it was a blessing to you. I'm going to close in prayer, and we will be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word tonight. Thank you for uh, the grace of God that, that brings salvation to all men. And Lord, I pray that as we... as who know you as our personal Savior. As we walk through our life uh, each day, may we be mindful of our responsibility to be a witness. May we be mindful that you are always at work and that, you know, it's, it's, there's always hope. And uh, Lord, I pray there's someone 
on someone's mind here tonight or someone that's watching online that has a friend or a family member that has consistently rejected the faith and they just seem like they're impossible to reach. God, I pray upon that person's life uh, great conviction. And Lord, I pray that you would work. And I pray that the folks that are hearing that are involved in these lives would, would be sensitive to your leading. And when opportunity comes to lovingly share the faith, that we would take those opportunities. Thank you again for the study of your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here. Uh, Jen, do we have anything going on this weekend's the Valentine's